listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Chapter 11 is where we'll be this morning. Hebrews 11, and we're going to begin in verse number 32. Hebrews 11, verse 32. Let's stand as we read God's word. Hebrews 11, verse 32. We're ending here this great chapter. The writer says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You may be seated. What a wonderful passage of Scripture this morning. Amen? Amen. So we are in the last two sermons here, and as I'm thinking and praying about what God wanted me to share with you all Uh, We wanted to end this series all in. And some of you have asked me, Pastor, did you plan this all in series knowing that you're going to be all out? And uh, uh, please understand that I've been planning this for quite some time. But to be all in is to be not just all in for the church, but to be all in for Jesus. And I want to encourage you over these next two Sundays uh, to just be all in for Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about suffering, suffering by faith. And and so think about that. What is your pain tolerance? You know, pain tolerance is that maximum amount of pain that you can endure. Studies have actually shown that women have a higher pain tolerance than men. Amen, women? Yes. I mean, could you imagine men giving birth to a bowling ball? Uh, I I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, Listen, I have a low pain threshold, but when it comes to following God, when it comes to trusting God, what is your pain tolerance? I mean, how much pain are you willing to endure for the cause of Christ? There's a saying that says, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, I think in our day of of kind of uh, just where we are in society, I think when the going gets tough, a lot of people take off. Well, this morning, as we just think about the, just what's going on in our world, I believe over the next 20, 30 years that our nation is going to experience a, a great change in how they deal with people of faith. And I believe that for the church of Jesus Christ, over the next 20, 30 years, there's going to be a greater persecution than we've ever faced before. And so as your pastor, I want to prepare you this morning. I hope that one day, hopefully not anytime soon, that you will remember this message this morning. And the question is, when the going gets tough in your life, are you going to keep going or are you going to run off? You know, this, we are reminded of what's going on in our world in the nation of Afghanistan. Right now in Afghanistan, at least uh, in the past few months, we know that there was around 
10,000 to 20,000 Christians. You say, that's a, a widespread. Well, we're not exactly sure the exact numbers, but what missiologists tell us is that the nation of Afghanistan, the Christian population, is the fastest growing Christian population in the world outside of the nation of Iran. That's percentage-wise. And so one of the things that happened, a phenomenon that happened in 2019, is that the Christians, because they were growing in numbers, many of the church leaders... Um, decided that they were going to, on their national identification card, they were going to identify themselves as Christians. Now, this is a nation that's 99% Muslim, and they are going to change that they're no longer Muslim, they are now Christian, and in doing so, they were putting a target on them. And here's what's sad, is that now, because of what's happened in Afghanistan, the Taliban has all of their names and is hunting them down and many of them are having to flee to the mountains for refuge. But the reason why these Afghani Christians went out and became public with their faith through this national identification card, here's what they said. They wanted their children and future generations to be able to publicly own a Christian identity. Knowing that, this puts them in danger of being kidnapped, being tortured, being abused, and being killed because they left Islam and went to Christianity. And listen, what's happening right now in Afghanistan is an atrocity, but here's what one believer said of what's going on. He said, we've seen the Taliban in the past. We know what they do. We may not know why things happen to us or in the world, but we know that God knows why. And we trust the sovereign God of the universe, who's also our heavenly father. We will stand strong. That's the courage they have, and that's the courage we need. And that's the kind of courage that the writer of the book of Hebrews is calling us to. Hebrews 11 is a call of faith. The author here is preaching not to those who converted from Islam to Christianity, but those who converted from Judaism to Christianity. And in the midst of this conversion, many of them were going through grave persecution, and many of them were struggling. They were doubting their faith. And so this writer is pointing these, uh, these believers to, these, uh, to, to a call to trust God and to understand that in Christ, everything is better and that we need to endure by faith. And so he points them in chapter 11 to these past heroes of faith who didn't give up. These past heroes had the assurance of what God was doing based on their conviction of what God has already done. He didn't, he, he, he calls these believers not to give up based on just this seeing what these other believers did. They persevered in their faith. And so as you read through this list, uh, you understand here that these believers lived by faith, they walked by faith, they suffered by faith, and they died by faith. And so he's calling them then in us today not to turn back, not to quit, not to give up, to keep trusting in Jesus. And so this final section here uh, of this list of names is, can be divided into two categories. One category is those who escaped, by faith, suffering. The second category is those who endured, by faith, suffering. And so what I hope we learned this morning is this, is that by faith, God can deliver you from suffering, and by faith, God can deliver you through suffering. So let's dive in. First, I want you to see escaping faith. God delivers, God can deliver you from suffering. Verse 32, 
The author says, what more shall I say for time would fail me? In other words, this is a preacher here, and he, he, could, he says, you know, I could give you a more exhaustive list of those in the Old Testament who had radical faith. The Bible is full of examples of what true, saving, persevering faith looks like. But being the good preacher that I am, for the sake of time and the need for brevity, we're going to pick up the pace. And so in verse 32, he gives six names. Five of these are judges, and one of them is a king. He gives us Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Samuel, and David. All six of these men were men of faith. All six of these men were used by God to do great things. These were men and women of action. And so what you understand about faith, as you've looked all throughout Hebrews 11, is that faith is synonymous with action. All of these people in this book did something. So what you understand is that faith does not exist apart from action. Faith is the conviction that is best expressed by doing stuff. And so we see what these guys did. Gideon and Judges 7. Here's the interesting thing. God took nobodies and turned them into somebodies. In Judges chapter 7, you have a guy named Gideon. When you first meet him, he's a scared little man from a little tribe in the middle of nowhere. When I read about Gideon, I think Bilbo Baggins. Here's a guy that was scared of his own shadow, literally. And yet God is going to use Gideon to defeat the mighty Midianites with just 300 men, a clay jar, a torch, and a shout. Then you have Barak. Barak in Judges chapter 5 is alongside the, uh, Deborah, who was also serving at that time as a leader in the nation of Israel. And Barak was used to unite the tribes of Israel in victory over the mighty Canaanite army with all their chariots and the mighty warrior Sisera. You have Jephthah in Judges chapter 10, who was the unwanted son who became abandoned and an outlaw. He's like Robin Hood without the tights. The tight, tight, tights. <laughs> but he led the tribes of Israel in battle against the Ammonites with victory. Samson in Judges 13 is that long-haired Nazarene who had incredible strength like the incredible Hulk, who single-handedly defeated the Philistines. Samuel is that young man who was called by God to be the prophet and judge of Israel to restore the glory of God to the people of God. And then you have David, the king who was an unknown shepherd boy, a man that was after God's own heart, that God used to defeat Goliath and lead God's people to victory after victory. These are the names that we are given. And the author says, I could give you a list of so many more. And he begins to then, he talks about the prophets. He doesn't list specific prophets, but he then talks about the mighty deeds of these men and the prophets. And so these prophets are those who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of, by weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead through resurrection. So what you understand is that these men and women of faith did stuff. They didn't just believe that God could do great things. They trusted him to do great and mighty things through them. They risked everything, not knowing for certain that they would escape. They knew that God could deliver them, but if he didn't deliver them, they were going to trust him anyway. R.C. Sproul said that the, that the issue of faith is not so much whether we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we say we believe in. 
You know, if I were to go around the room and say, do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe God's all-powerful? Yes. Do you believe that God is omniscient and all-knowing? Yes. Do you believe that God can do anything? Yes. Do you really believe that? Yes. I hope you do. Yes. How can you tell? It's, tell? it's not necessarily what you say you believe, it's what you do. You know, you may not be aware of this, but I, for years, uh, practiced the fine art of CrossFit. And, and I, you know, I would flex to show you muscle, but I want to rip my shirt this morning. <laughs> but one of the exercises in CrossFit that I never really did is something called rope climbs. Now, if you're not familiar with this exercise, it's climbing a rope, okay? And so what you would do is that there would be these thick ropes. They would be attached to the ceiling, and you would climb up 10, 12 15 feet all the way to the top, put your hand at the top, and then bring yourself down. And uh, to be honest with you, I am scared to death of heights. Anybody else scared of heights? Yes, I'm scared of heights, all right? And, amen. And so, I didn't really enjoy doing it. I did it a few times. I didn't really enjoy it. There's some footwork you have to do, and I couldn't ever figure out the footwork, so I would just kind of, without the footwork, just kind of climb up just with my hands. And, you know, and that gets difficult. But here's the thing. I... I didn't really like the idea of going all the way up to the top of this height and then have to bring myself down. But here's the thing. As strong as I am and as strong as that rope is, it doesn't matter if the thing holding the rope up isn't strong. Right? We've talked about faith. That faith is only as good as the object for which it's placed in. And so faith, you can put faith, you can be as strong as you want to be, you can have the strongest rope, but unless what's holding that rope can hold you up, it's useless. And the same is true in your life. So here's what you have to understand about faith. Faith is not just believing the rope can hold you up. It is climbing up the rope, leaning back on the rope with all your might and all your weight, trusting that God is the one holding the rope. And so what you see in the lives of these men and women, Gideon and Samson and Samuel and David, and is that these men and women, they didn't just say they believed in God. They climbed on the rope. They trusted that God had their back because none of them had read their stories yet. These men and women were living in real time with real faith, trusting that God would bring victory even though they had no guarantee that they would survive it. They trusted that God was holding the rope. And here's what you have to understand, church, is that God, in his good providence, did provide a way of escape for these people. God is able to do extraordinary acts through faith. All these people that did all these mighty things did not do those mighty things on their own. There is no way to explain Gideon's life apart from God. There is no way to explain David apart from God. There is no way to explain these great stories apart from faith in God. And what you see is that these individuals chose to, tr chose to trust God and allow God to work powerfully through them. The, th the same is now for you. Will you trust God to work mightily through you? One commentator said that in openly mysterious ways and miraculous ways, as well as in more subtle and secret ways, the Lord puts his great power to work for those who trust in him. Do you want to be used by God? Trust in him. Now, I want you to also get this, because some of you say, you know what, Pastor, I would love to trust in God. I would love for God to use me, but I'm not good. I struggle. I have problems. I mess up. 
Well, here's what you got to also get about this list. God did not deliver these people miraculously because they were perfect people. If you read through the list, no one on this list was perfect. They all had areas in their life that they failed. If you take the entire comprehensive list of chapter 11, here's what you would kind of read. Noah was a drunk. He was a drunken sailor. Abraham was a lying vagabond. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer. Yet God used them. None of these leaders should be idolized. None of these leaders are perfect. None of these leaders of faith are those that we should just say, you know, I want to be exactly like them. All of them had failures. All of them had flaws. All of them had issues. But what made them different is that they used those failures and those flaws to be used by God through faith. And what you should look at is not how great David was, not how great Samson was, not how great Gideon was, but how great God is. That God can take a nobody and do something with them. I mean, one of the, the Old Testament stories is a guy named Balaam who had a donkey. And God used that donkey to speak to Balaam to save Balaam's life. And as one old preacher says, if God can use a donkey, he can use you. All it requires is trusting God and saying, God, I'm not perfect, but you are perfect. Some of the great heroes of the faith have great redemption stories. They were messy. They were bloody. They were bruised. But one day, Jesus came, found them, cleaned them up, dusted them off, and used them for the mighty work of God. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he can do for you. These are those who had escaping faith that God protected them and God saved them from suffering. But then you have the second list. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be in the first list, right? But the second list is enduring faith. That sometimes God delivers you through suffering. It almost seems breathless here in verse 35 that he then talks about those great mighty deeds, but then he says some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Verse 36, some suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. Some were stoned. Some were sawn in two. Some were killed with the sword. Some lived in sheepskins and goatskins and destitution, affliction and mistreatment. The author here goes to the second group who did not escape suffering, but endured suffering. Now, I want you to understand that they did not have to endure suffering because they were worse or had less faith than those that escaped. They were mocked, they were flogged, they were imprisoned, not because God hated them, not because God was punishing them, but because God was using them. If you read the Old Testament, many of the prophets were, were brutally abused. Tradition tells us that Zechariah was sawn in two. These men and women were the faithful of the faithful, and they didn't get a get-out-of-jail-free pass. True faith in God is no guarantee of comfort and security in this life. The only security and comfort you get and guarantee is not in this life, but in the life to come. 
What this passage teaches us is that you will be hated. You will be persecuted. You could be put in jail and you could be killed. And I know that may sound foreign to what many of you may watch on television. I, may, I think that maybe some of us have the idea from some preaching that we hear is that if you follow God, everything's going to happen good in this life, that you're going to live your best life now, that you're going to be healthy, that you're going to be wealthy. Well, let me just tell you something. Jesus never promised that. Jesus never promised if you follow me, it's going to be gee whiz and hallelujah. Jesus says, if you follow me, it's going to be painful because it means that we take up our cross. It means that we die daily. I want you to know that God can and does do miraculous things. God, through his acts of providence, can deliver and can bless his people, but he doesn't always do it. And sometimes by faith, God just sustains his people through suffering. Again, I want you to understand that suffering and misery and destitution and death are not necessarily given to these people. They're not given to these people because of God's disapproval. It's actually God's approval. He loved them enough to allow them to go through this. We have been... We have been given this false idea that life is to be easy. That's not true. Persecution is the norm for Christianity, not the exception. We just happen to live. Do you understand that you live in probably, historically, the greatest times in history? You people are living longer than they've, they've ever lived since Bible days. Health, people's health are at the best it's ever been because of health care. We live in America, which is the richest and I think the best nation in the world. We have so many blessings. And we tend to think that that is the norm. You go to other places in the world, that's not the norm. Right now, Jennifer Campos, who uh, oversees our Four Central Florida ministry, she, with Melissa Hyland, are in Togo, and they're sharing the love of God. Listen, what's going on in those West African countries, many of those who name the name of Christ, they're being persecuted. Just a couple of months ago, I was training some pastors in, in Athens, Greece, and there was eight of them at this particular training, and they were from different places around the world. And, and I, I asked him, I said, how many of you have been in prison, have been in jail for your faith? Six out of the eight raised their hand. Now, if I were to ask you, or you're watching online, how many of you have been put in prison for your faith? I doubt very many, if any of you, would raise your hand. Now, you might have been in jail for other things, but not Jesus. There was one guy from Pakistan who, who said he had been in prison for years, different to off and on throughout his life. And he says, listen, the only choice you have in jail is to share the gospel and plant churches among the prisoners. He says, what else are you going to do with your time? <laughs> one guy named Joe from the Congo, and, and that's his name, said that jail is the greatest seminary and training ground for believers. I was there to teach these men, but these men needed to teach me. 
because we have been sung to sleep in the Western church by the satanic lullaby that's telling us, live your best life now. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He didn't say if, he says when. And then Jesus says, your posture should not be posting a bad post on social media about how rough your life is. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What some of us call religious persecution is inconvenience. And what some of us call having a bad day is just Starbucks running out of pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> we live in a day of validation. That's why social media is so big, is that we want people to validate our existence on earth. We want people to like us, to befriend us, to comment great things about us. Young people today are living and dying by this need for approval and validation. And here's what you have to understand. If you are seeking earthly validation for your faith in Jesus Christ, you won't make it. Because being a Christian is going to require you, especially in these next few years, to have a confidence in God that you cannot see, to have confidence in his promises that you don't always feel, and to have internal strength by the power of the Holy Spirit when you feel like and you know the world is against you. The church today in America needs to ask this, themselves this question. In the darkest hour of the night, will I get up with hope because I know the dawn is coming? Martin Luther said that faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. These men and women did not escape suffering. They risked it all, and guess what? In this life, they lost. But they didn't lose it all. Verse 39 says that they... All of these, though commended through their faith, that is, all these people on this list were made right in the eyes. That word commendation, commended, is, is justification. They were justified. They were made righteous in the eyes of God by faith. Yet, they did not receive what was promised. So they endured all of this. I mean, could you imagine being in front of the death squad. And all those promises you've held on to all of your life, you've not seen any of them come true. Yet you keep believing. These men and women did not receive what God had promised, not because God failed to keep his promises, but because the promises that God gave them were in the distant future. That is, they didn't see them in this life. But even though they didn't see them or experience them here, they believed that God would do them anyway. And the reason that they could endure what they endured is they understood that what was coming for them was far greater than anything that ever happened to them. They could endure because they knew that there was going to be an end of all the suffering. They knew that there was going to be an end, but the end was only the beginning of eternity. 
Paul knew this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, for this light momentary affliction. You know, that's a mouthful there. Light momentary affliction for Paul meant shipwreck, snake bit, beaten, stoned, left for dead, betrayed, lied about, ran out, hated, mocked, cat of nine tails, 39 lashes, light momentary affliction. But that light momentary affliction, whatever that is, was preparing Paul for the eternal weight of glory that's beyond comparison. I mean, you compare this suffering here compared to what I get, I'll take the suffering all day because what I get's better than anything that's bad here. So in verse 18, he says, listen, the reason I can do this is because I don't look to the things that are seen. If you look to what's seen, be depressed. If, you're, if you get your joy from Fox News, be depressed. If you get your uh, news and information about the future from MSNBC or CNN, be depressed. But we don't look to the things that are seen here. We look to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul understood that. And many other Christians around the world understand what we sadly in America haven't figured out yet. Nick Ripkin in his book, Insanity of God, talks about Chinese Christians who live every day under persecution. And so, uh, in talking to these Chinese Christians, uh, he, he says, give me a scenario of how you have to deal with persecution. So they gave this scenario. They said, you know, we have from time to time security police that come and harass believers. And, and if, you own, if you own the property where there's a house church that meets, they'll come and knock on your door, enter into the room, and they'll look at you if you are a house church own, uh, a leader, and they'll say, if you don't stop having meetings in this house, we will confiscate your house and kick your family out on the street. And so the Chinese believers respond by this. Well, do you want my house? Well, if you do, then you need to talk to Jesus. Because I gave this house to him. The police then don't know what to say. And so they'll say, well, you know, we don't have any way to get to Jesus, but we can get to you. We'll take your property and we'll throw you out on the street. And so the believer will then say, well, you can throw us out on the street and we'll be free to trust God for shelter and our daily needs. The police will then say to these Chinese believers, if you keep this up, we'll beat you. They will then say, well, then if you beat us, we will trust Jesus for our healing. The police will then say, if you don't shut up, I'm, we're going to put you in prison. And the believer will then say, then I'll be free to preach the gospel to prisoners and set them free. Amen. We will plant churches in prison and you'll pay for it. Amen. The police will say, if you do that, we will kill you. The believers reply, then we will be free to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. Please do that. Here's what you have to understand. It is hard to kill someone who's already dead to this world and alive to Jesus. You can't kill that person. And that's what we need in America. 
We need that as central. We need this tenacity that we are not going to give up. We're not going to shut up. We're going to keep on keeping on for Jesus. Even if that means we lose it all here. Even if it means we lose it all here, he's worthy. Here's, amen. Here is what the writer says here. He says, all of these commended, made righteous through their faith, did not receive what was promised. But God provided something better. The Old Testament saints were not privileged to know what we know. They lived by faith like we live by faith. But that something better is actually someone better. That one that chapter 12 teaches us is the founder and perfecter of our faith. That is Jesus. And what the Old Testament saints saw in the shadow, we see in completion. They looked for the first coming. We long for the second coming. And this is what unites us. The restoration of all things in the person of Jesus Christ. Don't put all your eggs in the basket of this world. There's something better. There's someone better. As a matter of fact, that word better is the key word to the book of Hebrews. In Christ, with Christ, by Christ, all things are better. A better plan, a better priesthood, a better covenant, a better sacrifice, a better blood, a better home. Better. Piper says on this particular verse, these verses, he says, the common feature of faith that escapes suffering and the faith that endures suffering is this. Both of them involve believing that God himself is better than what life can give you now and is better than what death can take away from you later. Do you see that? Whether you escape or whether you endure, the only way you're going to do those is you have to see that God is better, that Jesus is better. So some of you in this room, you may escape the suffering that others in this room may endure. And some of you may endure the suffering that others in this room escape. And it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It doesn't mean that if you endure suffering that you're a better Christian than one that escapes it. And if you escape suffering, it doesn't mean you're a better Christian than one endures it. Some of you, your ministry, God's going to do supernatural things that only and only him alone can get the credit for. And some of you in this room are going to be faithful, long obedience in the same direction. And you're not going to see the fruit that the world looks for. But God's going to say, well done. The only way you'll do that you have to see that God is better than what life can give you now and better than what death can take away from you later. What does faith look like in a moment of torture? What does faith look like in a moment of pain? Does faith say, you know, if God loved me, he would get me out of this? No. Faith believes that there is something better than the miracle of escape. That there's a better resurrection than just getting out of a deadly situation only to go on and die later. Faith loves God beyond the grave. 
Faith loves God more than life, more than family, more than career, more than retirement plans, more than personal safety, more than comfort, more than pleasure, more than building your dream house or making millions. Faith says whether God hands me over to suffering or not, I will love him above all else because he is my reward. He is the builder of the city that I long for. He is the treasure that is beyond the riches of Egypt, and he is the possession that surpasses all others, and he abides forever. So whether you are rich or whether you are poor, whether you are popular or despised, whether you are looked up at or looked down on, keep on for Jesus. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't quit. Don't turn. Don't run. Jesus is better. Jesus is worth it. Don't stop believing. Jim Elliott, who died in the 1950s in South America, is a martyr for his faith, wrote this saying that I have quoted dozens of times as your pastor here. Elliot says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Sadly, I think that many of us in this room are trying to keep things that we should get rid of. We're trying to hold on to things that are not eternal. Some of you, you need to give your life to Jesus. Some of you need to turn from your sins and turn to Him by faith. Some of you that are going through the hell of the pains of this life need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That whatever you're going through, Jesus is better. That whatever you're struggling with, Jesus is better. That whatever temptation is coming your way, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the bottle. Jesus is better than the pornography. Jesus is better than the pill. Jesus is better than that bad relationship. Jesus is better than the brokenness of your life. Jesus is better. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that your Holy Spirit do what I couldn't do today. And that is call sinners to yourself. Lord, help us to see that you are better, that Jesus is better. Jesus is all we need. That is all central needs. Central needs Jesus. And Father, I know you're here. So do a work that only you can do. Thank you again for listening to Central Church Podcast. For more information on how you can take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.